Welcome to the Practice Advantage Podcast. I'm Dr. Justin Manning, and here on the podcast, I interview experts from within and outside the eye care industry on the business management topics and advice that matter most to you, your practice, your patients, and your success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Practice Advantage Podcast. Today, we're going to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. For many practice owners and office managers, managing people is one of the most challenging responsibilities they have, especially when things aren't going well. In this episode, we're going to dive into difficult conversations and providing feedback with our guest today, keynote speaker, communications expert, and culture catalyst, Aaron O'Malley. Aaron is a master at coaching businesses to provide better feedback, build culture, and encourage deeper connection. Aaron, welcome to the Practice Advantage podcast, and thanks for being here. I'm so excited to be here with you. This is, I've been looking forward to it. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, Aaron, before we dive into providing important feedback and having difficult conversations, why are so many of us uncomfortable with these types of conversations? And why should we invest time and energy in getting better at it? I think there's a few reasons, and I can almost imagine your listeners right now saying, yes, please answer, because I am uncomfortable with these conversations. I think that we're not taught. We're we're not taught how to engage in these conversations in a productive way. And I think when we are thinking about difficult conversations, we can go on that what if chain, right? Like, well, what if they start crying. What if they yell at me? What if I get emotional? What if they, right? And it's the, we tend to go the what if in a not productive way instead of saying, well, what if maybe it's hard, but I can understand this person more? What if it's hard, but maybe they can understand me more? And I think just shifting that to saying, hey, yeah, it's going to take, they take some practice, but also there's possibility there and there's opportunity. And I also think when you think about the cost, and I don't know about you, but I am a ruminator. And if I have a difficult conversation, I will say, oh, it'll be fine. I don't have to worry about it. But then at three o'clock in the morning, you know, I wake up and that's all I'm doing is thinking about it. So I think when we think about it's the emotional cost, it's the, the drama that happens when we don't address these conversations. There's so much that can come that's not helpful. And so I think by being able to embrace them and to say, you know, what if, what if I could build a strong relationship? What if we get to a new understanding helps us get through some of that initial, initial fear and initial hesitancy. I love that. It's reframing the conversation in, yes, it's going to be difficult, but the cost, as you said, from ruminating over it is higher than the cost of actually having the difficult conversation. And again, reframing in the context of, well, what if? we have these positive outcomes from it. I, I love that. It's just, it's so valuable. Yeah. I think a lot of times we, we, we can build it up more in our head. And then a lot of times we have them and we're like, Oh, that, that's not so bad. Um, so <laughs> I always think about that too. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think it's important to address one of the biggest elephants in the room. Shall we say when it comes to having these difficult conversations, it's hard to provide critical feedback. You talked through some of the reasons for the fear behind it. 
because it has the potential to impact the relationship that we have with that person, perhaps dive a little deeper into the what ifs on the positive side of things. From your experience, what wisdom do you have in coaching all in coaching your clients and businesses to to lean into that what if and lean into the positives from a relationship standpoint from these difficult conversations, perhaps especially in the context of of work and managing people? Yeah, I mean, I just think that when it comes to engaging in these conversations, I think one of the biggest things that we can realize is that we are not responsible for other people's emotions. And I think what comes up a lot is this fear of, like I said, right? maybe they're going to get angry. Well, what if they respond this way? And I think that's one of the big things that makes us pause because we're afraid of that reaction and we're worried about the emotional response. But if we think about it, in these conversations, what we are responsible for is being candid, is being intentional, right? Is being respectful. We can control that part of it, but the other part of it, we can't control. And if someone has that emotional response, as long as you're not being a, a big jerk, right? Like if they have that emotional response, that's for them to deal with. And I think when I talk to teams and to people about this, that is a big light bulb for people. And it's sort of freeing to say, oh, I don't have to take that responsibility on, right? And I think with that, another part of this too is, a lot of times we think, I'm going to have this conversation and then it's going to be done. But if you think about conversations, I don't know, that you've had with your friends, like that I have with my, my husband, a lot of these aren't one and done conversations. It's, all right, let's talk about it now. I'll come back in a few days. We can revisit it. And I think with that intention of how going back to the what ifs, what if I could make this relationship stronger? What if I could build more trust? It's not a one and done thing. It's a continual conversation to open up that understanding. And I really think there's, I always think of these as there's an expansiveness with the relationship, with understanding ourselves, with understanding the other person. And one of my intentions is always to go in to say, what can I learn that I don't know now? What am I not seeing? And with that mindset, with that intention, I think that it, it helps to open up the, the possibilities of these conversations. I love that. I think it's just a valuable way to look at these conversations. And it doesn't just have to be one on one and done, excuse me. It's an ongoing piece of communication, especially when things are challenging and critical and we need to address a problem. It's not doesn't just have to be one and done. You use the word candid and I love that uh, that term. How do you define candid? I think many it, it, it I'm, I I would argues probably a bit of a spectrum, but some people may be too direct and others may be indirect. So how, how do you define candid when it comes to some of these, these types of conversations? Mm, such a good question, because I think we hear terms like, I'm going to be brutally honest. Okay. You, you never want to be brutally anything when anyone, when you're having a conversation, right? Like let's get that one off of the, off of the word bank. And then the other one, the other side of this, I think, is, and I, 
I, I don't think I can never not talk about this because I feel like it's doing the world harm. This whole feedback sandwich concept of say something nice and then tell them what you want to like, tell them what they're doing wrong and then say something nice again. It's whiplash. And I think if you think about, right, like what, oh wait, I'm, and people are either like, oh, I'm doing that great. And then, oh, there was some middle part. I'm just going to ignore that. And I'll go back to what they said I was doing great. It's confusing. So all of this to say, how do I describe candid? I think it's thinking about, um, you know, what it, what is the ideal outcome that you're looking for and how do you express that in words that are respectful, that are impact focused, um, and I love how Dr. Brene Brown talks about clear is kind. And this goes the other way, too, because nice, right? The other thing is, um, you know, let's say you let's say you did a presentation and you knew like, you know, that it did not go well. And you afterwards, you want to get some feedback. So you're saying, hey, you know, Aaron, how, did, how I'm really looking to see how I did. And I'm like, you know what, Dr. Manning, you it was actually you did a good job. Like there were some good points there. Because I, oh, what, yeah, what's going to happen? I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I think all of this to say, this is my long answer about Candid, is that it's being direct. You know, Jason, when you presented, your slides were out of order. You did seem to be a little nervous. And how can I help you to be able to present with more confidence, right? Like, that is clear. That is kind. It's not... um and it's not, yeah, you know what? You really screwed that up big time, right? <laughs> That's that, that brutal honesty. So um, I think it's just saying, ironically, because I just said a lot of words, it's saying what you want to say with as directly and with as few words as possible without all the the cushioning and the rationalizing and the, oh, like, I don't want to be too mean. It's just being direct with that intention behind it. That's uh, fantastic. I, I had to laugh because I was totally going to bring up the clearest kind if you didn't. So totally on the same page here when it when it comes to that. I love it. I love it. So Aaron, I know you have a framework for having difficult conversations and making them a little bit easier. And, and we spent some time talking about the reasons behind why we need to lean into this, be more comfortable or or be more comfortable, shall we say, with the uncomfortable. But let's get into the the actual steps or how do you, how do you leverage this connected conversations framework? So I suppose, what is it? How do we use it in the context of everything we're talking about? Awesome. Yeah. So this framework is, there's five steps to it. So first we set our intention and the intention keeps the conversation um, on track. It grounds us with our emotional response and it acts as guardrails if someone wants to take it in a different way. So the intention guides the conversation. Next, we frame it. And I think about this as like taking a picture. And in that picture, we're just seeing the specifics of the situation and the behavior of that person. Then impact. And when we think about the impact that this person, the behavior has, we always want to drive it excuse me, we always want to tie it to the business case because if not, it's just a personal attack. Um, so we're tying it to the business case and that could be impact on team and impact on the patient experience, et cetera. Then we have inputs. And this is when we get the other person's version of that, the other person's version of the story. We get the full picture by asking questions and bringing the other person involved. And then the final piece is we invite them in and we pull from each of the prior 
pieces of the framework to invite them into the conversation. Because how often is it, you know, Jason, I need to see you in my office at three o'clock. And everyone's like, ooh, you know, he's in trouble. But instead, the invitation statement is, hey, I would love to talk to you about your presentation. I would love to have a back and forth conversation. I, I want to make sure that you are being as impactful as, as possible. Do you have time for a talk? And I think the invitation that's so foreign to people, because normally it's, you know, hey, can I give you some feedback? And that's when we start, you know, the heart starts pounding and we want to throw up. But, but imagine inviting people into saying, hey, I actually want to hear your side of the story. And we're doing it to, to make things go forward. So in a nutshell, that is, those are the five pieces of the framework. So using that example of providing the feedback about the presentation, walk us through a little bit in you know, in detail of how you would leverage that framework in delivering the, the type of feedback that you're referencing. Yeah, and so I think when it comes to the feedback, the framework, I, I there's three different phases of it. It's we prepare, then it's the that we present. And then I also talk about the pitfalls for each of those. So intention, what do we want them to do? What do we want them to think about? How do we want them to feel at the end of this conversation? And Dr. Manning, it is so, it sounds so basic, but the, sitting down and taking a few minutes, and this could be five minutes, it doesn't have to be long to be like, what do I want them to do? What do I want them to think about? How do I want them to feel? Helps us guide. So in this case, what do I want him to do? I want him to use his slide deck more, more efficiently and to project more with his voice. What do I want him to think about? The impact that it has that his presentation has on his reputation? And then how do I want him to feel? And this one, when I when we work through this in classes, it's kind of funny because there's normally, I'm like, be honest, be honest. Because a lot of times when I say, how do you want people to feel? They're like, guilty, shame. I want them to feel horrible for what they're doing. And and it's it's sort of, we have a good laugh and that's the initial response. And then I do remind them that if that is the intention of the conversation, it's not going to go well. But I think that's the piece that helps ground because we do have emotions around this, right? And, it, and maybe that this presentation example isn't the best for that because I don't know how frustrated it would be with you. But it's a way to say, you know what, this is frustrating, but actually I want him to feel empowered. I want him to feel excited about what he can learn. Um, so I think and and I will I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll I'll hit a few more because I yeah, you know me I can get going on this stuff. Um, but I think the intention piece is such a big one. One of the other we can touch. I mean I could touch on all the points of the framework, but the one I think that really is essential and and busts up one of these other myths of feedback that feedback is a one way conversation is the input piece, because the input getting the other person's side of the story is often where we go wrong. And when I talk to leaders and doctors and they're, you know, Aaron, I, I have these conversations. They're not changing their behavior. I tell them the same thing over and over again. That's when I'm like, ding, 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 ding. Like you're telling them and you're not asking them. So when we think about getting their input, it's saying, hey, this is my perspective about your presentation, but I want to hear how do you think it went? You know, what do you think worked? What did you think not work? And I think, you know, that's one example of how we get their input. And then I think it's the other big piece with input is that often we say, you know, hey, Jason, I need to talk to you about your presentation. 
you did some things well, but I noticed the PowerPoint really wasn't working for you and you seem nervous. So I know that your reputation for you is important in the practice. So I'm really going to need you to practice to maybe put some more time in, you know, maybe take a course and that way you can present better. Does that sound good? And folks can't see you, but you're nodding your head along, right? Because normally when someone has that conversation, they're like, yep, yeah, okay. And they're like, yeah, cool. Yeah, okay, I'll do it. Do they do it? Maybe, probably not because we're not bringing them into the conversation. What could you do differently? How can I support you? What do you think about that? And so I really think this input piece is such a huge part and it's also goes back to where we started with but what if what if they say something and i don't know how to respond be present listen to them these are human conversations and i think the framework is really helpful to help you prepare to give you some steps along the way but i think one of the biggest things too is being in the moment and listening and responding and remembering the humanity behind these conversations I'm glad that you spent time on the inputs piece because I think that is that is a challenge for a lot of us to lean into in these difficult conversations. At the same time, it's engaging them in the next steps. And it's so important to do that because, as you said, you want them to buy in to the feedback you're delivering. But what if you do get that person who completely disagrees? I mean, you're the owner, you're the business owner, you go to to you know, Jason, as our example, you go to Jason and say, this isn't working. Here are the things that you're, here are things that you're doing. How do you feel about that? And they say, I don't do that. Nope, that's not me. How do you address that type of response? I think that inputs piece is so important to get them engaged and bought in. How do you respond if they completely disagree with everything that you're saying? I think it goes, um, and we talk about that frame and piece, this is when we're getting it is super subjective and is super specific. So when we go in, and, and this is another pitfall, Justin, is that when we say things like, you're, um, you're unprofessional, or you were rude with that patient, um, what does unprofessional mean? What does rude mean? But when I say to you, yesterday when I walked into the office and I saw you on the phone, I heard your voice. I could hear your voice before I walked in. You were standing up and you were shaking your head and then you slammed the phone down. Those are all very specific. And if someone's like, I didn't do that. Well, you know, I saw you. <laughs> so it's, we, we need to be as specific as possible. And we also need to stay away from those unprofessional and the rude. And, and I wanted to make this point because and I, a fun hint is to take away the additives. When you're giving the feedback, it's nouns and verbs. Because I think a lot of times, if you came to me and you were like, Aaron, you were pretty rude during that meeting, I'm gonna be like, whatever, I'm from New Jersey. Like, that's just how I am, you know? It's not rude, it's just me, right? And this is when we get the defensive up. But if we stick to the nouns and verbs, and I say that in going back to your question of what if they don't agree? I think that we need to realize that maybe they are defensive. We also don't have enough of these conversations. So the fact that you're having a conversation, people don't know how to respond. And I often suggest, and I often ask myself, I get the input of, have you clearly defined the expectations? Have you communicated the expectations with them? Have you explained the why behind the expectations? And I think a lot of times those pieces are missing. And so that's why they're saying, well, I'm not going to do that. 
I mean, we don't know for sure, right? But a lot of times, did they need, did they know what good looks like? Did they know what they were supposed to do? And you know, I think that I people might resist, and I think that there's also, I think people resist. But honestly, in my experience, I think people like having expectations. They like hearing what they're doing well. They like hearing what they're doing not well, even if they don't know it, because. People want to know. It's motivation to know, hey, I'm doing this well, I'm doing this not. And so I think a lot of times we get afraid of having these conversations because they think, well, they're not going to do it. So if you're having the conversation that's happening, I would ask those questions. Have I explained the why? Have I been clear with my expectations? Am I getting their side of the story? What am I not seeing from their point of view? And how can we move forward together? It's so, so valuable to have. To, to, to communicate that upfront, but also in having these conver- these difficult conversations is really grounding the the feedback, let's say, in the objective, the actions, the behaviors, and communicating how they contradict with the values of the practice, the way operations are handled, et cetera, et cetera, so that there's no question in the subjective. And it's we easily, I think, can can go down that direction because it's what we see, how we feel, how we respond emotionally to what we see. But, but having the conversation around clear objective behaviors, actions, nouns, verbs, as you said, to the point of disagreement, there's no question. And I think that that, that piece of advice is so, so valuable. I've told the story time, many times on the, the podcast. It's very brief, but I distinctly remember I was walking out. It was at Vision Expo East in New York, and I was walking out of an event, and I just happened to hear there's two millennials, and I, I am one, so full disclosure, standing on the, the street corner. And it was after hours. It wasn't, you know, it was it was at night, and I distinctly remember hearing one of them tell their friends. I just know I'm just I'm never gonna get any feedback. And it's so contradictory because I think we 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 don't like to give that feedback, but the reality is, is that people that we manage want it. They want to know how they're doing. They want to know what's working, what's not, what areas of opportunity they have to improve. And getting back to your what ifs, what if they actually want to know how they're doing? What if they actually want to know this feedback is, I think, is, is so important to recognize as well. I agree. And I think another... I, I totally agree. And I think there's a ratio that comes into play here too, that it's the nine to one, like positive or reinforcing to corrective. And oftentimes people are saying, well, I mean, I need to say nine nice things before I can say one corrective thing. And my answer to them is, hey, yes, <laughs> like it shouldn't be that hard. And it doesn't have to be a long, it can just be like, hey, you know what? I walked in the door today and I saw you smiling so hard with the patients and asking them how their day was. Like, that's the kind of service that we're going for. Nice work today. And when we start to do that, A, they're realizing, oh, they're paying attention to the good and to the bad. And when it's time to have that corrective conversation, it's not a feedback drive-by, right? It's, you know, Erin cares about me. She wants me to grow. And that goes back to that intention piece. I want you to be able to have the best impact you can have on our patients. And so you can, you see how with that, okay, all right, she's doing this to help me get better. And I know it's not just a one-off. Yeah. It's not coming to my office conversation. It's, it's this culture of constant feedback. And again, people are constant and it's just being able to have that flow And the more we do this, the more the interesting ripple effect is that 
the team will start doing it to each other. Hey, you know what? I noticed you did that really well. Or, hey, I think there's something that you can work on here. And for the, the doctors out there, for the practice owners, like this is when hear that because that's taking the responsibility off of you to have to be in charge of all of it. When your team can start having these feedback conversations together, whoo, like that's when the culture starts to take off. I love that. And I, frankly, I can't think of a better place to, to, to leave our listeners and thinking along these lines and reframing the difficult conversation, reframing how we look at feedback as a tool for personal growth, as a tool for professional growth, as a tool for business growth. I'll be the first, and I argue this all the time, the most important piece to focus on within a business and within a practice is culture. And I don't believe we give it the attention that it deserves. And by focusing on that, many of the other problems and challenges that we face within our businesses and within our practices will ultimately solve it itself. So that's my soapbox. I could keep going on it forever, but I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. I'm standing right there next to you on that soapbox. I couldn't have said it better myself. That was ex exactly exclamation point. Aaron, I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom, your expertise and knowledge with our listeners. We always wrap up with the same question here in the podcast. We believe leaders are readers. What are you currently reading? I, I had to whittle it down because I currently read 17 books at the same time. Oh, but the one, that I'm <laughs> the one that I'm really into is um, called Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. It's by Oren J. Sofer. Offer. I'm not sure how you say his name, but ah, uh, it is. It's it's. I'm about to say this. I can't believe I'm about to say it. I'm like it's delicious. It is a delicious book, and it's really um, it's really opening up my eyes to some different ways about how to have these conversations. So I highly recommend it. Say what you mean. It's great. Uh, well, we'll absolutely put a link to that in the show notes. Aaron, this is great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. If you've enjoyed the Practice Advantage podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. And if you want to take your practice to the next level for the sake of your patients, your team, your community, and your bottom line, give us a call. 1-800-959-2020, option three. See you next time.